Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Happy Friday and welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where our focus is using safety as that key human metric that really brings the people side of our business back together. How do we lead people through safety? How do we learn from our people and better understand our culture of our organization, our business, and just the whole way that we work? Glad you could join me. I'm Mark. I'm your host. Happy you're here. So we'll start off again with our favorite topic, and that's COVID-19. So it really does feel like at this point, at least from my perspective, and again, this is my opinion, my podcast, (laughs) that uh, the legislation is probably not going to make it. I don't think we're going to see OSHA getting involved in general industry. I mean, they're already involved in the healthcare industry of assuring the protection there from covid but I don't see it coming back for general industry. It just seems too little too late. And I keep seeing that from a lot of people and hearing that. And I agree. I don't think it's going to bring a lot of value at this point because a lot of businesses have made their decision. They are either going fully vaccinated and they have mandated it internally either way, or they have really encouraged vaccination and allowed for other alternatives, such as remote working or even working as groups of individuals that are away from other people. So let's say you're a service technician, and this is something I'm familiar with, and your work really is single work. You go into a location where no one else is, and you service a piece of equipment that's in a building servicing something, And you're alone for that work. You get out of your car, you go into a maintenance entrance that you've been allowed to go in, you go do your work and you leave. There is really no exposure. Uh, You are the only one. You are not interacting with anyone else, nowhere close to six feet to anyone else. And that protocol can be in place. That is certainly a very effective way of preventing COVID-19 other than vaccination, depending on what you believe there. But not having any interaction with anyone else and that more than six feet, more than distance and walls in the way and equipment in the way can be effective. I think at this point, we as safety people, we as policymakers have to be creative with how we look at the risk. And as safety, we've been doing this for a long time. This is something we do very well. And you think about your JSA Think about your job hazard analysis, your job safety analysis, your risk matrix, and you th- that's how we have always done our job. 
we go in and we look at every risk that there can be. Uh, most ISO programs require the same thing. You look at your inputs. You look at your outputs. What is it that we're doing today? What is it that we're interacting with today? So you look at what is the risk and you list every risk there is. So with COVID, where do I interact with people? Where do I interact with the public? Where do I interact with other workers? Where can I make contact with something that could be contaminated? How would I clean that? How would I react to that? And so we take those factors, we put them in a matrix and we say, okay, what's the severity? What's the chance of me coming into contact with this? Then how frequently am I doing it? And you build around that, taking your most critical area first, and you build around that your prevention, your mitigation, the way that you're going to handle the process. Now, in some cases, like in an office environment, where possible, we can spread people out. Where possible, we can require masks in community areas where needed. We can work from home. There are still remote work, and we're finding that to work better than we ever expected. And I think that scared some people uh, how well that some people can work remotely and how efficiently that work can still happen. It's amazing. Uh, in the, I cannot remember if it's built to last or good to great, but they talk about technology accelerators. And how do you use those to your advantage once you have a good, solid business model? Well, here we are. There's a lot of amazing technology that can still allow us to connect, collaborate, do our jobs very effectively remotely or away from others and not work for everyone, of course, but it does work in a lot of cases. And we're seeing that work in a lot of cases. So where can we do that if there's still high transmission rates? Where can we look at that? And so we are looking already, and I hope you're doing this, but looking at your risk, looking at how you can mitigate the risk, whatever the decision is that you've made, because there are still, even with vaccination, even with double vaccination with a booster, there are breakthrough cases. Fortunately, most of those cases are not leading to very severe symptoms. You may be tested positive. You can still spread the transmission but the severity to your own body is much lessened and you have a better chance of not having to be critically cared for if you're vaccinated, according to the data that's out there. But whatever you have chosen as that mitigation factor for your workplace, whether it be we have mandated full vaccine um, and we've seen that with some large organizations, United Airlines being one of those that are being challenged for it. And then there's those that are looking at how else do we do it? We can offer the vaccination. We want to know who's vaccinated, but we're also going to allow for other options out there. We're going to allow for those accommodations. And the accommodation isn't just that we're going to give you a month to go get vaccinated. The accommodation truly is that you will remain employed. We're going to try to find the correct work, whatever it is or however it is, to make sure that you're still gainfully employed. By doing that, we still have to look at our risk. Just because we've made a decision or any decision, we still have to reevaluate the risk. And that's true with any mitigation and any living, your JSA, your JHA, for all your processes or living documents. If you were, for instance, add a new guard to a machine, it may reduce your risk, but it doesn't 100% eliminate your risk. We're never risk-free. And I think the best way I've ever heard it said was, 
what is your appetite for risk? Some people are not very hungry for risk. Some people love risk. I'm risk adverse, reasonably so. And so when I look at this, I want to make sure that we've done our due diligence. We've looked at what our team is doing. What work are you performing? How do you interact not only with your team, but with the general public back and forth? Because it could go both ways. How do we prevent that? How do we create a process? Maybe it's administrative change. Maybe it's PPE. Maybe it's other factors that we can think about on instead of everybody sharing a vehicle, we're going to take two vehicles for a while to make sure that we're keeping ourselves safe as we're working. There's options that we can think about as safety professionals, as people who are designing these programs to mitigate, to reduce the amount of risk that it comes from COVID. So even though the legislation is dead or appears to be, and I really don't think it's going to be resurrected at this point, there are still things we should be doing to take it seriously to make sure that the health and safety of our team is there. And that really means that we're doing our part to review the risk, to listen to our team, and to help find solutions that are practical and that really do help make a difference in reducing that risk. When we come back, we're going to switch topics. So more podcasts. You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The safety dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, the safety dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, the safety dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it, the safety dude. So who is the safety dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a safety dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting where he is ready to focus on your team's safety. www.tsdamoglamated.com And welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, I'm Mark. Glad you have joined me. Very happy to uh, continue this podcast. That really my, uh, my labor of love that I enjoy doing. So thanks for joining me came across an article in Safety and Health Magazine, and this one, as many of these, when just when I think that there are times where, you know, it just can't get worse sometimes for my faith and how people can react to safety, I come across an article like this one, and it just it really makes me a little bit angry to begin with, but it also makes me sad that there's still this going on in our country. And so this was in Idaho. Um, there was a, this was actually a, an owner of a business back from uh, earlier in the year where there was a tanker explosion and the owner of the business and an employee was severely burned and hospitalized. And the owner of the business ended up with uh, a month in jail and will have some home confinement and some fines. But the reason behind it is not because of the explosion. It's because of the blatant lies that were told during the investigation. So during the investigation, he told OSHA that he didn't have any employees. 
I, I don't employ anybody. The guy that was in the tanker. So what had happened was they were inside of a tanker doing some welding. They did pressure testing and welding and repairs on tankers. This tanker had had a flammable liquid or flammable vapor still left in it. And so while they were in the tanker, they were doing welding. The individual was, not the owner. And there was an explosion, ultimately resulting in those burns and the injury and the damage and the hospitalization. The owner told OSHA that that was an observer. I did not employ that person. They were just hanging out with me in a formerly filled tanker full of flammable material while I was welding. If that doesn't make you raise some eyebrows as an investigator, that's amazing. And it did. I mean, of course, they did more digging and found that he was blatantly lying, that the other person was doing the welding. The other person was on the payroll. Where do you even think that you could get away with a lie like that? There's financial trails. And it doesn't make... If a friend of mine called me today and said, Mark, I'm going to be doing some welding inside this tanker that had gasoline in it. You want to come watch? You want to come crawl down in this tanker with me? Well, of course I do. I'd love to do that. No, no. That's not my idea of a good time. And I don't even understand because it makes no sense, does it? So even worse, though, they continue on to do this investigation They find out that they weren't even certified to do pressure testing. They weren't even certified to do welding. There was nothing there that told them that they could do welding and pressure testing of these vessels. They weren't certified for it. They had been falsifying documents saying that, yeah, this tanker is good. It's fine. When really they had no, nothing to test it. They weren't testing it. They weren't doing it. They were doing some repairs on the side but they weren't even certified to do that style of welding. Wow. What kind of risk does this create for everyone who is near that tanker? What kind of risk does it create for the people that he had employed at some point or the other? Unbelievable. Absolutely mind-boggling. So maybe you saw that article from Safety and Health magazine where they had looked and found that one from Idaho. I, I was amazed by it. As a company, though, if I am hiring someone to do very specific certified work, I would hope that an organization would not just go for the lowest bidder, but would look for someone who actually can prove the qualifications. I'm not sure how much forgery there was here or how much forgery this person had committed to prove that they could do this. If nothing more, if they just put it on a letterhead and said, yeah, we can do that. Verify it. That is a safety critical process. Also, they had admit told OSHA that, yeah, we did a air meter test. We had an air meter with us. They couldn't find an air meter. Didn't know what an air meter was. They hadn't done any explosive limit testing. No clue. They hadn't done anything. And so confined spaces, especially this happens a lot where people say that they're qualified to do this work. They're a small company. They are very reasonably priced. And then they go in and do it, and they're missing a lot of the key safety features. Doing a confined space entry is not an easy process. If you do it right, it takes time, it takes effort, and yes, there is investment in doing it. Because you've got to have meters that are calibrated, bump tested, you've got to have rescue, 
you have to be prepared. And so there have been a few injuries I can think of. There was another one at a chemical plant where there was bleed over and there was one person in it. They weren't wearing an air meter. They didn't know that it was filling up and the oxygen was being displaced. Uh, the person fell down in the tank and then a family member who was, this was a family business jumped in after him. And it was a huge, huge ordeal. I think this was about five, six years ago. I remember that article, but here we are again inside a confined space, not monitoring it. And as a company that hires someone like that, if you hire someone to do your confined space entry, then you should be validating that they have the training, that they have the equipment, and that they're going to do it the right way. I actually, early in my career, I was told that we don't do confined space entry. So I got there, I was reviewing all of their protocols and policies, the maintenance manager goes, we don't do any confined space entry. There's a maintenance group down the road. We contract them for any confined space. Well, lo and behold, we had a, a product thing break and it was going to be a confined space entry. So here comes this team from down the road. I catch them at the door because I want to verify that they actually have. And I start talking to them. Hey, can you show me your confined space training or talk to me about what you're going to do for rescue or talk to me about how you're going to do, where's your meter for the air testing? Cause there could be some gases still left in this, this item and blank eyed, wide eyed stare at me. And they go, we don't have any of that. We were just going to go in here and fix it for you. Nope. We're done. So evidently we had thought we were going to be doing confined space entry with these contractors, but they had nothing. But we were going to send them on in with zero verification until I stepped in front of them and, and asked the $20 million question. You've got to validate. That is something that is so important when you're hiring a contractor to do safety critical work is to take a little bit of time validate they actually know what they're doing because sometimes an owner of a business case in point here of this article will say i've got everything you need and their poor employee have no idea they just know they've been told to do work they've been told that it's safe by their by their boss and they're going for it and that's how we end up with one a distrust complete distrust in the system and we end up with people getting hurt and that's unacceptable Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Hopefully you'll join me again next week as we talk again. And until then, stay safe. listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.